Good morning, Edge Church. How you doing? Are you happy to be here today? Yeah, me too. Well, uh, if you don't know me, my name is Brandy. Uh, I am one of the worship directors around here. And I tell you what, God is very happy that you're here today. And so are we. All are welcome, whether this is your first week or you've been around here for a long time. It's a good week to be here. Um, we have, around uh, this church for the last few months, we have been um, camping out on loving God with all our hearts, our minds, our strength, and now our soul. And so the last couple weeks, we were privileged to have um, a special speaker, Ken Taylor, and he came and gave us a bunch of great um, practical and biblical knowledge about the issue of mental health. And so if that is something you didn't get to be around for, please check it out online. It's such good, useful information on such an important topic. Um, but moving forward today, I don't know if I'm more excited about the speaker or the subject, because the subject is on rest. Yes? Are we excited about that? Who needs rest in their life? Yes. The older you get, the better rest sounds, right? I'm always confused when my kids come up to me and complain that they're bored. I'm like, no, boredom is not a bad thing. It's a very exciting thing. Um, so today we are going to learn biblically based how to find rest for our souls the way that God intended for us. And we get to hear from our pastor, preacher, speaker, teacher, Neil Shorey, someone I like very much, and I know you will too, so let's welcome Neil. Good morning. I need Brandy to intro me every week. She's very friendly. I hope her husband doesn't mind. I'm kidding, guys. I'm kidding. That's my wife. Oh, guys, so... I think part of what I'm so excited about in this series that we're doing is getting back to kind of the basics of the faith. And we want to make sure that we have experiences where you can connect um, all that we're talking about with like actually doing something that, that makes a difference in people's lives. So I want you to mark this down on your calendars and give me a response in one week. Okay, September 7th, we're going to have a meal packing party at LifeSpring Community Church in Plainfield. And we don't have the exact time yet because there are a lot of logistics to pull together, but it's gonna be somewhere between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. And it's only gonna take about an hour and a half to two hours of your time, but here's what it's gonna do. We're gonna pull people together and we're gonna have a fun time packing food for our friends that we know through New Life for Haiti. That's, they're one of our missionary partners I've gone to Haiti every year for the last 10 years, and I can tell you that the need there is just never, it's never satisfied. Um, there, there's so much need there. There's so much poverty. It used to be that Haiti was considered one of the poorest nations in the world. Um, by a lot of metrics now, it's considered the poorest nation in the world. And, and that means that, that we here in the suburbs of Chicago, who are really in the top 1% of people all throughout the world, we have a way to come together, a very inexpensive way. Um, it's going to be $50 a person to participate. We're looking for a minimum of 10 people. 
I'd love to have more than 10. And we're going to connect with other churches in the area too. So it's not going to just be an Edge Church event. It's going to be the Edge Church and people from LifeSpring and, and people from several other churches in the suburbs. So if this moves your heart and you sort of want to get an idea of, of what it would look like to serve uh, people in Haiti, this is a great way to get your feet wet. So we really encourage you to be a part of that. Um, please email me if you would like to be a part of this uh, no later than next Saturday night. Neil at edgeaurora.com and I'll make sure to connect you with the people at New Life for Haiti um, and you'll love them as much as I have over the years. So guys, um, I, I love this, this series. Um, we've been doing it for a long time. It's been most of this year. and We've talked about so many good things, so many practical things Loving God with our heart, with our mind, with our strength, and with our soul. And um, as Brandy said, Ken shared last week, and he was, uh, he was good. The last couple of weeks he shared just really practical kind of, he speaks my language as a counselor. He is just, um, he really speaks to the issues of the heart, and I love it. Uh, today we're going to speak about a specific issue of the soul, and it's rest. Um, I, I already shared that with someone this morning, and she said, oh, great, uh, like, I, great, I'm not really good at that. I feel like the subject of rest is kind of chasing me down. And, and you know, maybe, maybe you guys have noticed that rest is a whole lot like prayer. It's a whole lot easier to talk about than to actually do it. All the books on prayer and, and instead of praying, it's, it's really easy to get caught up in talking. I think rest is like that too. How do you know that that's true? Really simply, um, maybe you've gone on vacation. How many of you have gone on a vacation this summer? Okay, like three people. Awesome. No, like, like so many people. It's, it's, it's when we tend to go on vacation. I want you to think about your last vacation. And my guess is you had all these ideas about what that vacation was going to be like. You're going to get away so you can rest and recuperate and come back ready to just, you know, you're going to like swing for the fences at work when you get back. You're going to be a better parent when you get back. All the things that you think of uh, about vacation, it's all about rest. It's about recharging. Now, now let's, be, let's be real for a second. Unless you went and took a week-long nap, you came back and you were not rested. As a matter of fact, I've seen your posts on Facebook and they always say this, I need a vacation from my vacation. Because it's, it's just the truth. Most of us aren't very good at resting. Seriously, vacation's exhausting. It does the exact opposite of what you hope it will do. You come back tired. And you still need the thing that escaped you the most. You went on vacation because you needed rest and you came back and you still need rest. So what are you supposed to do? Now, here's the thing. Rest must be a really big deal for humans because not only uh, did God prescribe it for us, but also because God participates in it. We know that from the creation story. We know that, that, that God rested on the seventh day from all of his work. In, in verse 3, it says, it says it like this. Uh, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Isn't that, I just love how that sounds. He, he rested from all of the creating that he had done, which means that since we are created in the image of God and we are to imitate Jesus because he is the image of the invisible God, then we are supposed to rest as well. So he prescribes it and he participates in it, so it must be pretty important for us. Sabbath rest is not just for God, but it's for us 
It was instituted in the the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. I don't know about you, but I've learned that rest doesn't just happen. Rest isn't accidental. It's actually really intentional. You have to plan for it. But life puts demands on you. Right when you decide to rest, people are going to ask something of you aren't they? As soon as you say, I just need a little bit of space, someone's going to come and invade that space. And and, and maybe it's your own issue. Maybe it's not someone else that's bothering your rest because the internal speed that we have in the suburbs of Chicago is really high. Have you noticed that uh, basically there are two types of people in the suburbs. You either lie down and have a hard time falling asleep. Raise your hand if that's you. Why is that? It's, it's because your, your mind is still going, your speed is still going. There's something inside you that says, there's, 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 there's too much to do for me to rest for eight hours. I, I can't give up that time. Or you're the person who falls asleep quickly and can't stay asleep because you wake up. Your mind wakes you up because your mind's not at rest. That internal speed, uh, and, and I think it, you kind of combine it with the ego, uh, particularly in the suburbs, and it tells you things like this. If you don't hustle, you're going to fall behind at work. If you don't hustle, you're going to get left behind in your social life. If you don't have your kids in every single extracurricular that the schools tell you that they need to be in, otherwise they won't get into college even though they're just in kindergarten, right? We feel these things, don't we? We're told these things, and then we have people around us that seem to be holding their lives together. It seems like they're doing okay, so that means that that we should do these things because then we're going to be okay. But the reality is, none of us is okay. It's not healthy. It's not good. It's hard to rest. So where does this leave us? Where does it actually leave us? What what happens to us when we, we do this? Well, there are all sorts of studies that have come out about this, and it says that uh, there's one study that came out uh, in 2013. It was from uh, a press conference that was headlined by the CEO at the time of the American Psychological Association. Kind of a big journal. And uh, that basically it says that Gen Xers and the millennials are more stressed out than any other generation that has been. More stressed out. I wanna, let's think about that for a second. Other generations have been through some stuff. Other generations have likely been through a whole lot more than I'll ever go through. But the reality is, according to these studies, our generations are the most stressed out and exhausted generation. And, and what are the, the two major stressors? You guys probably know this. It's jobs and money. Jobs and money. But wait, I thought the economy was amazing. I, oh, if, if the economy's okay, then everything's going to be fine because we're going to have good jobs. Oh, wait. Uh, if the Dow Jones gets to a certain level, guys, it's higher than it's ever been. And we are still stressed out about our jobs and we're stressed out about money. There's never a good enough job and there's never enough money to calm you down and give you rest. So if you're waiting for a great time to rest, don't hold your breath. And I know for a fact you aren't because another study came out in 2013 by Expedia. And Expedia said that that, that year, um, Americans left half a billion 
days of vacation on the table. Half a billion. Guys, <laughs> that would be a good time to rest. You're given vacation days for a reason. But so many of us say, oh, no, no, no. I don't want to put anyone else out. What we really mean is, I'm afraid I'll not get the promotion. If I take the vacation that's offered to me, I'm afraid that someone else won't, and then that person's going to get promoted, and I'm going to sink down, or I'm going to lose my job. But, but wait a second. The major stresses are what? Jobs and money. And that is with people not taking vacation. Half a billion days left on the table because pride. We're not good at resting, but God instructs us to do it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start with Mark chapter 6, just with verses 30 and 31 to begin. So read along with me on the screen. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. That sounds nice, doesn't it? Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Ah. I think the I think the apostles were normal people just like us. They wanted recognition. They they had just gone out, they had just gone out and done all the things. And they wanted rec- recognition and they wanted a pat on the back, just like we do. It doesn't make them bad. It doesn't make them egocentric. They just wanted to tell Jesus about what they'd done, and they wanted to hear, boy, you did great. You did exactly what I taught you to do. You did it. And and we do the same thing. I think sometimes as pastors, we're the worst. It's true. It's true, we can be the worst. I see it every week on social media. Pastor friends from, from all over, they post things like this, particularly on, on Sundays. It's Sunday nights. They post the results of their gatherings. <laughs> and it always, looks, it always looks humble, and it's totally not. They post things like this. Just had over 500 in attendance today. Isn't God good? Or, or my favorite... 22 people baptized this morning, and we only had 25 people there. (laughs) What did Jesus do? He didn't say, good job. You cast out all the demons. You prayed for all the people, and they were all healed. Like, they wanted to hear, like, tell us more, Jesus. Tell us about how great we are. And he didn't do that. What did he do? He said, let's get out of here together and get some rest. It's like, wait a second, you skipped the part where you gave me the gold stars and you gave me the participation trophy. You, like, you skipped that part. If Jesus, the Son of God and God himself on earth, needed rest, then we need rest too. We have to figure out a way to do it and we need to pay attention. So it's super important here. Context is always key when you read scripture. Because how many of you guys know that you can take almost any uh, section of Scripture and if your desire is to twist it into your own meaning, you can do that? You can do that with just about anything. And we are really good at that. We'll take something and make it mean whatever we want it to mean at that particular moment. 
So context is super, super important here. We need to understand what was happening and what was going to happen. And so, so we got to look back earlier in the same chapter, Mark chapter 6, Jesus had sent the 12 apostles out to do work, right? So they weren't going against him. He wasn't mad at them for what they'd done just because he didn't commend them for all they did. He, he just had a, a, a bigger point. Rest, it's time to rest. But, but what had they been doing? He sent the 12 followers out in twos, in pairs, and he sent them to teach people to repent, to drive out demons and heal the sick. Those are big jobs, big jobs. So they were returning to share with Jesus what had happened, and they were excited about it. Nothing wrong with that. It's like when your kid comes home from school and they're excited to tell you about the, the grade they got on the test and, and they're sharing all these details and, and you're listening to it and you are happy for it, but really what you want is just to connect with your kid. Have you ever, have you ever been there before? I've got, I've got some pretty high-achieving girls and sometimes they want to tell me more about what they've done and I just want to sit with them and just be dad. Like, I love that they care about all these things, but sometimes I just want to sit with them and be with them because I know that time is short. That time's short. So spending time with them is super, super important. I think that's what God gets at with us, that if we make life all about what we are accomplishing or have accomplished, then we sort of miss out on the, the finer points, the, the more significant areas of life that God wants to get with us. Let's continue. Verse 32 so they did it. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Ah, oh, that sounds good. Until you get to the very next verse. But it's sort of like, you don't want to hear that about rest, and you don't want to hear, I'm sorry, but. Right? That's not a real apology, and this doesn't sound like real rest. Because it says, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot ran on foot from all the towns. Not a town. <laughs> they ran from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Oh, man. <laughs> Seriously, picture this. They've been out doing all the things that Jesus asked them to do. And Jesus says, it's time for some rest. And as soon as they leave, all the people in the towns run and, and basically, I think I know where he's going. Let's get there first. No. Stop posting on social media because then people can't show up where you are. Okay? Right? But they got there first. It says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Can you imagine what the disciples felt like right now? Like, really? Didn't you say we needed a rest? Mm-hmm. It says, by this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. 
Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the bread. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They ate. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Guys, this is such a rich story for us to be invited into. Um, and it has so many implications for our lives and our faith in Jesus. I, I just want to jump in and, and share the first one that I see in this passage. Jesus' rest refreshes you like no other. Jesus' rest refreshes you like no other. So you have to follow me a little bit to get that, I think. It's a strange passage, right? Because it seems like what Jesus is, is saying goes contrary to what the experience was. How many of you guys have sensed that God was saying something to you, but then your experience was different, and you're just like, I, I'm, I'm not sure what to make of this. Like all of us, right? Like you, you, I, I sense that you promised this thing to me, and it's not happening. As a matter of fact, everything that I'm experiencing seems to be completely in opposition to the promise that you gave me. If you've, if you've been a follower of Jesus more than about a week, you will have experienced something like this because so much of what happens in our lives feels so contrary to what we learn about the Lord in Scripture. So the first thing Jesus says is, yeah, I, it's awesome all these things that you've done, but I want you to get away with me and rest. And then they do that for what appears to be moments. Literally the trip to the land that was solitary which wasn't solitary when they got there because the town, all the towns, they got there first. And it's like, wait a second, what in the world is happening? What kind of rest is that? doesn't sound like rest. But we also know that, that God's word does not return void. If Jesus says, this is what you need, then, then surely that's what you're going to get, right? The, the particular word for this kind of rest in the, in the original Greek language, is found in a, a handful of other passages. It's like six passages where this particular word for rest is. The word is, it's a verb, and it's anapao. And it means to take or enjoy rest. It means to take or enjoy rest. God intends for us to take moments and to enjoy them. Why is that? Because they're not going to just happen. These moments of rest don't just happen. If you're waiting for rest to happen, life is going to happen to you a whole lot, and you're, you're never going to have a moment to rest. So it is a verb to take or enjoy rest. Why do you think God wants us to enjoy it? What, is, what, what does it mean to enjoy rest? You know what it means? It means that when you go on vacation, don't stay attached to your devices. Put the screens away. Work can wait. That makes sense? Some, some, some of us have a hard time putting screens down. I am so, so very guilty of that. I have a hard time putting the screen down. But I can tell you this. When I take time to disconnect from it, I do feel slower. There's an internal speed inside that starts slowing down. And after I get over that initial like feeling of addiction, for real, 
everything slows down, and I'm like, wait a second, why did I do that so much anyway? Brandy and I talked about this last night. Both of us were looking at our phones pretty late last night. She looks at me and goes, I just don't know why I do this so much right before bed when I know that's not what I should do right before bed. And I'm so tired at looking at things online, and it doesn't change even when I refresh it. How many of you guys have done that? How many of you guys have looked at your phone long enough in bed you've dropped it on your face? <laughs> Come on, some of, you, some of you guys have. I've done it before. It's embarrassing. How many of you guys have, this has nothing to do with the sermon, how many of you guys have accidentally turned your camera on and it faces you and you're like, you're like I didn't know I looked like this? We all do. We all do on the selfie cam. There's a quote that I heard uh, about the, the need for rest in humans to develop regular rhythms of rest in our lives. And it goes something like this. It says, each day, take time to reflect. Each week, take a day off. Each month, take time to retreat. And each year, take a vacation. And that sounds really good, but there are really two problems with that. Number one is very few people really will ever do those things. <laughs> and two, most of the world doesn't have that option. Most of the world doesn't have that option. I really love that quote. And I ran, like I often do when I preach, I ran it past Brandy. I'm like, what do you think of this quote? Like, what do you think? And she goes, I think it's not biblical. <laughs> I was like, ouch. And I said, well, why do you say that? She goes, well, um, if you couldn't say that to your friends in Haiti, it's not biblical, it's cultural. I was just like, oh man, Brandy for the win. And Neil to throw out most of his sermon. But it was true. It was true. I didn't, I didn't love that at the moment, <laughs> but she was right. Because most of the world doesn't have the option to rest and retreat and have vacations. Most of the world just doesn't get that. We're wealthy here in the U.S., and we might have those things if we prioritize them, but most of us don't get to do that in this world because most people are just trying to survive the day. The area, the area that we serve in Haiti, it's a remote mountain village. It's a village of about 10,000 people. And, and I, can, I can tell you that we could share cute quotes like that with them, and it wouldn't make any sense at all to them. It wouldn't make any sense. Uh, things that don't make sense in Haiti make a lot of sense here. We, we do things like run for exercise and we go to gyms. None of that makes sense to, to our friends in Haiti. And guess what? They're far more jacked than we are. And they're a lot more rested, seeming, in their hearts than we are. I've been going to Haiti for, for, for 10 years now. And it used to be a more restful place than it is now. And, and I see two main reasons for that. One is the internet, and two is cell phones. They have the internet just like we do. Almost everyone in Haiti has a smartphone. It doesn't matter how poor they are. It's amazing how cell phone companies will make sure that people get these in their hands. And I'm not talking about flip phones. Don't think that they have flip phones. No, they've got smartphones. Most of them are Samsungs. And there are cell towers all over this remote mountain village. And I've actually had better reception in Haiti than I have in parts of Naperville. I'm really not, I'm not joking. I've been hiking in the mountains of Haiti, and I've gotten calls from people in Naperville or Aurora, and it sounds like they're right next to me. So 
I, I don't think it's a coincidence that 10 years after going there, when they didn't have any of these things and a picture on a, on a camera phone to them because they'd never seen their phone faces, they've never seen what they actually look like because they didn't have mirrors, suddenly they're becoming the selfie generation just like our generation of people here in the U.S. And guess what? They stay up way too late, just like we do, with that glow of the blue screen on their faces and they even drop phones on their faces too now because they're humans and they're overwhelmed with the access of the 24-hour experience with news and, and media and the Kardashians and Kanye, all these things that we look at and say, oh, that's silly, but inside we're like, I wish I had that. And they wish they had that too. And I can tell you that 10 years after going there, the average Haitian is far less satisfied with life and has less rest in their souls than they did before. Now, Jesus' rest might not look like a week-long vacation, but this passage tells us something very, very important. That if he wants to, he can fast-charge you like an iPhone. Have you seen those chargers that they, they literally can like give you like a 90% charge in like under 30 minutes? It's really fast. Like it's a fast charger. It's a particular kind of connection. And if you have one of those, it'll fast charge. Jesus can recharge you as quickly as he wants because Jesus is the God who is not limited by time or space or human efforts. He can fast charge you. Here's our second point. When we rest with Jesus, we will be empowered to do exactly what he wants us to do. Did you notice that I didn't say that if we rest with Jesus, we'll be empowered to do all the things that we want to do? We won't do that. There are certain things you can pray for all day long, but if that is not what is best for you, you better actually pray you don't get it. When we rest with Jesus, we'll be empowered to do exactly what he wants us to do. How many times have you thought maybe this week, I don't have time to exercise? Everyone here has time to exercise? Okay. Right? A lot of, a lot of us, a lot of us think, think that, right? Because you actually have to prioritize it. Or, um, I don't have time to pray. I wish I had more time to pray. I just have too many things to do. I've got to get busy doing something. Now, I find it interesting as Christians, we sort of have this like cognitive dissonance that occurs because in general, Christians would say something like this. Our relationship to God is not based on what we do or what we don't do or what we have done or could do, our relationship with God is based on what he did, right? And he wants to experience us as beings, primarily as, as beings, not as people who do. Then why is it that we often value the things that we do more than the people that we are actually becoming? Why is it that we do that? Because we think that I can't rest or I, I can't exercise or there's not time to pray because there are not enough hours in the day. If only the day was 36 hours instead of 24, we'd all die a lot sooner. Can we be, can we be realistic about this? 
We'd all die a whole lot sooner. We think that if there was more time, then we would get more done. But the reality is, it's not an issue. There's, we don't have an issue that we have too little time. We have an issue that we have too little focus on the lane he's called us to be in. Be in your lane. Don't try to be in someone else's. Do the thing that he has called you to do. What if 24 hours is exactly enough? What if he wants you to actually sleep more so that you're more productive during your waking hours? Maybe, maybe you'll actually do the things that he's called you to do, not the things that's for the person sitting next to you in the church. I love this quote by Martin Luther. You might have heard it before. He said, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Ooh, that sounds crazy, doesn't it? Talk about countercultural. But there's something that he knew that we don't, that when we encounter the presence of Jesus, some magic happens. It's magic, right? Because I, we believe that, that, that he can do more when we are financially generous. He can do more with the, the, the leftover that we have than we could ever do if we took the 100% and spent it on ourselves. We believe that when we set aside a day and we, we make it holy and we focus on him, that he's going to do more in the other six days than we could ever do if we hoarded it all for ourselves. Just seriously, look at Chick-fil-A. They're closed on Sundays. And they are, it's a booming business. It's a booming business. What if we looked at every area of our lives and we said, hey, I want to make sure that I'm giving the right part of this, the, the right part of my heart, my emotions, my, my strength, my soul, all of this to the Lord because whatever he wants to do is going to be bigger and more exciting than anything that I could figure out on my own if I decided to, to use all my time. What if he was just waiting to show you your lane when you submitted all of your experiences to him? Now, we aren't told this in the passage, but I'm going to give some thoughts on what I think the disciples were thinking in this moment. That didn't seem too restful, Jesus. They had a few minutes with Jesus, and suddenly he puts us back in the game, but he's the one who told us to rest and then they all hung out while Jesus had compassion on the crowd because remember they said, uh, Jesus said they were like a, a, a sheep without a shepherd. And, and then later, as it was getting late, the disciples became very thoughtful. They said something like this. I think it went like this in one of the versions. Um, Jesus, Lou Malnati's closes soon. So we should probably let the crowd go so they have time to go there and get the best pizza. You know, it's late, and they're probably hungry. How thoughtful, right? The truth is, they were probably just worn out themselves. They were exhausted. And then Jesus said, um, you give them something to eat. What? Have you seen how many people there are, Jesus? There are 12 of us. And there are 5,000 men. We're not counting women and children. There are 5,000 men. And have you noticed there aren't that many of us? And by the way, even if there were, we can't afford this. We can't afford this. Now, are these responses any different than ours? 
Think about it. How many times in the last year have you said, God, I am too tired to care. I am too tired to serve the person in front of me. I don't have enough money to be generous. If I won the lottery like I play every week, then I could be generous with the money I have. But I don't have the money, and I can't share my food because I don't have enough for myself. And it seems like God always will ask us for something that goes beyond our own efforts or pushes us past the place that we think we can actually do it. How are we going to do that thing he has put in front of us? And the answer is, maybe we aren't. Maybe we aren't. Maybe Jesus is going to do it out of our connection with him. Jesus is the one who said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So then Jesus invited his friends into this extraordinary moment. He knew what he planned to do, but they didn't. It looked normal. Most things God invites us into look really normal. It's like, I don't see any evidence of anything supernatural happening up in here. It looks pretty normal, God. What is happening? He told them, I need you to find out what you have first. So hear this really clearly. God is not asking you to give more than what you have. But he is asking you to be willing to bring all that you have. He's not asking you to become generous when you win the lottery. He's asking you to become generous when you have a hard time paying your bills. He's not asking you to give your time when you're retired. He's asking you to give of your time when you have little kids surrounding you. He's not asking you to care for people who have less than you when you're, you're well He's asking you to care for people around you even when you're sick. He's asking you to do all sorts of things, but he's never asking you for more than what you have. He's not asking you to, to give more than what you have. He's asking you to be willing to use exactly what he has given you. To participate in the extraordinary, we have to bring our ordinary moments to him. So they went and found a very disappointing number of fish and loaves. Uh, Jesus, it's five pieces of bread and two fish. Almost like, gotcha. So Jesus told them to have the crowd sit down. Can you imagine how horrifying this was for, for the disciples in this moment? These 12 men looking at these hungry people. There are thousands upon thousands of people. They are hungry. It is late. And Jesus says, tell them to sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties. That's a whole lot of people that could turn on you real fast if this goes sideways. Oh, I already hear the whispering. Um, so who's going to get the fish and, and loaves? Because there's not many of them. And I, I'm telling you, 
if you've never been around people that haven't eaten in weeks and they see a, a little truck with food come through, people aren't very friendly. I've been in Haiti and it's the closest time I thought that I might get hurt when after, after all the, 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 the devastations that occurred with the earthquakes and the hurricanes and, and I've seen food go through an area where people haven't eaten in weeks and people aren't exactly on their best behavior when they're literally starving. No, they throw the women and children out of the way first and then the men get in fistfights and they attack the truck that came to bring them sustenance. Imagine how the disciples were. And then Jesus gave thanks and broke the bread. And then he handed the loaves and the fish to his disciples who distributed it all to the crowd. And it wasn't just enough. It was more than enough. And there were 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish left over. And that tells us that when we rest with Jesus, we are enabled to do things that are unfathomable, unfathomable for us as people. The Apostle Paul knew about this kind of Jesus. He, he closed his letter to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. And it just says this, you guys probably know it. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask for or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That sounds like the same Jesus who multiplies broken bread. It's the same one. And that leads us to our final point today. I'm going to ask Nate and the band to come back up. When we rest with Jesus, he'll break us too. And this is where all the fans of Jesus start walking out about five minutes before the end of the service. They're like, oh, I didn't sign up for sacrifice. I, I don't blame you. That's a scary sounding point. And I thought about changing it, but I realized I shouldn't because it's true. When we rest with Jesus, he will break us too. That might not sound like the kind of rest you're looking for because if you're like me, my, my natural tendency is to want to go to Cancun and, and have a rest that looks like a, a, a drink with a little umbrella in it. And I want to sit by water where it's warm and it's so comfortable. It's, it's restful feeling, right? That sounds like a great rest. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, but what if Jesus has more purpose for us than just that? What if he could give you that and something more? Wouldn't that be good? It's like a Christian infomercial. But wait. <laughs> no, it's better. It really is. You were made for more than that. When we rest with Jesus, we'll be empowered to do all that he wants us to do. And what does he want the most? What is it that Jesus wants the most during this time when his, his, all of his followers are not gathered to be with him for eternity, what does he want the most from us? He wants more people to come to know him. Just like so many of us in this room already do. He wants this room filled with people that are hungry for him. We shouldn't have this many seats open. Let's invite people to, to meet him.
That's his biggest desire. He wants more people to be with him forever. It shouldn't come as a surprise to us that when we rest with Jesus, that suddenly our priorities start to shift. Our desires start to change. We get new hearts and we get new passions. And and suddenly our hearts start beating in sync with the one who made us. Not too surprising, right? I watch... I watch so many of you with your kids on Sunday mornings and it's touching to me because I watch dads with their little boys. Little boys just following along with them and looking at every single thing that you do. And I watch moms with their little girls and and they just follow them along. And I see there's so many good parents here. There's so many people here who are so intentional about how they raise their children. And and it's just the same as the picture that God has with us that that just as we say, that's my boy or that's my girl. You know what that means? It's not, it's obvious, like, well, no kidding, that's your kid. But it's more than that. We know what it really means. What it really means is they're becoming like you. And God wants that from all of us. He wants us to become more like him. And as we spend time with him, as we rest with him, it shouldn't become a surprise that, that, that our hearts will start to beat for the same thing that his heart beats for. And I can tell you the major thing his heart beats for is the lost. He died so that you could come home. And he died so that you can go out and be his ambassador. He doesn't just want this to stop with you. He wants it to spread throughout the world that doesn't know him. One of the challenges we have when we read passages like this, we we, we sort of, we recognize that Jesus' miracles are awesome, and we're like, awesome, so he wants to do miracles. He, he wants to, to, to make food where there's no food, and he wants to heal us, and that's amazing in and of itself, but everything he did, we can't forget this, was pointing to a greater reality. It's the unseen reality. Everything he did here is incredible, but he wants you to have eyes that see beyond here beyond this short time on earth. Guys, this life goes fast. We are not here very long. He wants us to see with spiritual eyes. I love the Gospel of John's account of this miracle. Jesus explains to the crowd in John 6.35 after he performed the miracle of feeding the 5,000. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jump with me just a little bit. Connect this idea to the last night of Jesus' time on earth with his followers. He sits with his followers at dinner, and then he shares some important parting words with them. And he took bread, and he gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And if you've been around church much, if you have a 
any church history, you, you know that these are the passages that, that our communion is, is based in, where we celebrate what Jesus came to do with us. And what are we actually celebrating? I want you to connect with these words in a new way. We are celebrating that he had his body broken. His body was broken and his blood was spilled so that we could become whole. Remember, guys, Colossians 1.15 tells us that Jesus is the picture of God. If you're ever wondering what God looks like, look at Jesus. He looks just like Jesus because he is Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it tells us, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. So what does this mean for us? It means that we will be broken for the world as we rest in Jesus. That's your purpose. Your purpose is to live a broken life for the people around you so that they might have a chance to come and know him too. And it doesn't matter what else you're doing. It doesn't matter what your profession is. This is the job that the Lord has given to you. And it is good and right, and it's deeply soul-satisfying. No matter what you are chasing after today, in a thousand years, most of those things won't matter. What matters is this. Maybe you're sitting here, and, and, and I've gotten a little bit too far for you because you haven't put your own faith in Jesus yet. You don't know what that looks like. We always want to make sure that you understand how to get on this journey with God. And maybe you need to experience rest in your soul for the first time. I remember when I, when I heard the message and when it really made sense to me, and I literally felt like, I remember sitting there and just thinking, he's talking to me. Ugh. Maybe you're sitting here and you're, you're just sensing like, ah, what he's saying, it's for me. I've never experienced this before, but, but I just know it's for me and I, I know I need rest for my soul. What am I supposed to do? Acts 3.19 tells us simply, it says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You don't have to crawl on broken glass or do all the things. You do have to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. And when you do that, you are promised to be refreshed. So if you've never said yes to, to, to giving your life to him, do it today. Don't waste any time. Today is all we have. Today is all we have. Eternity is to come. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for rest. I thank you that even though rest often does not look like what, what I would like it to look like, the rest that you offer is, is different and you can bring it in all sorts of ways, but it all comes down to a moment with you. So Father, today, I pray over this entire group of people that are gathered to learn about you and connect with each other and with you. I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would give them that moment, 
even if there's a crowd gathering at home already, or a crowd getting ready to meet them for lunch, whatever their activities are, Lord, I pray that you would show them that you can lightning charge them for all that you've called them to do. God, help us to experience you in this moment and be changed forever. And Lord, we do say, break us for the world that you've put us in so that they can come to know you too. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.